is indeed a privilege to stand here today. God has been good. And I know that even as we have come to hear a word from, from him, he will not disappoint us. We've heard some wonderful singing today. What do you say, church? Let us bow our heads as we pray. Kind eternal Father, indeed we're lost without you. Indeed, Lord, we ought to be desperate for you. Because, Lord, it is in you that we live and move and have our being. Draw divinely nearer to us now as we open your word. Speak to us in clear, distinctive tones. Hope no understanding. May your Holy Spirit walk through the pews and touch each worshiper today. That our hearts will be blessed. Our thoughts will be lifted heavenward. At the end of this service, Lord, we'll be able to say, To God be the glory. Great thing he has done is our prayer in Jesus' holy name. I have chosen to speak to us today on a subject that we seldom hear in our church of late. The subject is the message of 1888 revisited. That's the topic of the sermon today. What is it, church? The message of 1888. The Wailing Wall is found in Jerusalem, capital of Israel. The rabbis, soldiers, and other Israelites come to the wall to pray daily. And if you are keen enough, when you, when you watch the news from the Middle East and you see scenes of the rabbis bowing down to that wall and sticking in paper into the cracks, My wife said, maybe they are the Sadducees. (laughs) They stick pieces of paper into the cracks of the wall. The question is asked, where is thy promise of Messiah? The Jews as a whole have not really accepted Jesus as the Messiah. So they continue to look for a Messiah. On the other hand, plans are being made to build a special temple in Jerusalem. And the evangelicals are championing this. That this new temple will bring a new era of importance to the Israelites. But today, we Adventists know that the promises of Messiah were sure. Messiah came. St. John chapter 1 verses 10 and 11 say, He was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. Verse 14. And the word was made flesh, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Messiah has come. His name is Jesus. And that is why our souls hunger for him. And we see him as the one 
who is the, 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 the desire of all ages. We Adventists have come to a very important juncture in our own history. It is now 167 years since 1844 when the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary began, when the message rang out, Behold, the bridegroom cometh. Go out to meet him. But here we are on the planet Earth, 167 years later. What is the obstacle preventing the appearance of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords? We know that the outpouring of the latter rain is a, most, is a must sorry, before Jesus' second advent. And we, as we read in the book of Zechariah, today we are going to be looking at many, many verses. So you have to go quickly in your Bibles with me because that's all I preach. Zechariah chapter 10 verse 1, the Bible says, Ask ye of the Lord rain in the time of the latter rain. So the Lord shall make bright clouds and give them showers of rain to everyone, grass in the field. The concept of the latter rain is something that is of utmost importance. They send the Adventist church. That's another sermon. But I just touch on it just now. All our meetings, our hopes, our, ex, our, our, our experiences are in vain if they are not rooted and grounded in the second advent. So like the Jews, do we have a wailing wall in Adventism? Jesus is saying the promise is sure. The promise of the latter rain is sure. The promise of the second advent is sure. They are sure because Jesus himself gave those promises and we know he's a God who cannot lie. But the latter rain almost happened in 1888 at the general conference session at Minneapolis. God sent a message to his people 44 years after 1844. Just as Israel of old turned away from the promised land, so did modern Israel in 1888. Two young men were called by God, Jones and Wagner. They gave a message. They were given a message for God's people. As the late Ellen White sat and listened to the message, she confirmed that this was coming from God. She said that had the message been accepted, it would have led to heaven. But I'm glad... I'm sorry the message was not accepted, but I'm glad. The reason I'm glad is that I would not now have a chance to go to hell. <laughs> you wouldn't have had a chance. We would not have been born. But I'm glad that the message wasn't accepted for that purpose, that I now have an opportunity to go to heaven. God sent the message to his people. And just as Israel of old turned away from the promised land, so did the Seventh-day Adventist church. As we contemplate the message of 1844, we need to realize that we have to focus on what is the message? What is it? What was it? Is it as relevant now as it was then? Should we revisit the message? And so today, turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 59 verses 1 and 2 as we set, set the background and look at the tenets of the message of 1844. 1888, sorry. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 1 and 2, we read. Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is ear heavy that it cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God, and your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. What God is saying 
is that there is a basic problem between himself and the human race. Are we together, church? There is a basic problem between God and the human race. And the basic problem is a thing called sin. Sin separates us from God. We are sinful, unrighteous, but God is righteous. How can I become righteous? Surely not by my own actions. Isaiah chapter 64 verse 6. The Bible puts it this way. For we all are as an unclean thing. And all our righteousness are as filthy rags. All righteousness will never take us anywhere else but hell. But God wants us to realize that we can depend upon him. And be reconciled unto him. That's why he asks a question in Jeremiah 13 verse verse 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? And the question was answered, no. The sin problem has to be dealt with and eradicated. Eradicated not from their lives, but mine. You know, Jamaicans have a saying, it's them. Not from their lives, church, but from whose life? Sin must be eradicated from my life. You want to say that to me? Sin must be eradicated from my life. You're not saying amen. (laughs) All right. So we're going to look at the tenets upon which the 1888 message was built. It is a message of righteousness by faith. You can't make yourself righteous, neither can I, but Jesus can. And God wants us to realize, firstly, that Jesus had a human nature. It is remarkable to think that that God the Son could become a man. Philippians chapter 2 verses 6. Philippians chapter, let me find it quickly. Philippians chapter 2, Galatians, Ephesians. Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 to 8, the Bible says, Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in, in, being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Jesus, verily God, became man. Galatians 4 verse 4 says, In the fullness of time God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law. Jesus is human. Hebrews chapter 2. Let us look at some of the, the, way, the, 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 the characteristics that Jesus had with him. When he was here. Hebrews chapter 2 verse 14 and downward. The Bible says. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood. He also himself likewise took part of the same. That through death he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Verse 16. For verily he took not on him the nature of angels. But he took on him the seed of Abraham, 17. Wherefore in all things it behoved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God, 
to make reconciliation for the sins of his people. Verse 18. For in that he himself has suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Is the church, I expect them to say amen. You know why? Because I know you are being tempted. And you know, you, if you, you know, know you have someone who can succor you, so I must say amen. I'm glad Jesus is able to do this. Jesus came and walked planet earth and was tempted just like you and I. And he was victorious in every temptation. Amen. God wants us to realize that Jesus was not somebody who had an advantage that we didn't have or can't have. Hebrews 4, 4 verse 15. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Jesus was human. Yes, we humans have no excuse to continue to sin. trouble today, I know that. We have no, but you see, I didn't ask the, the youth choir to sing those two songs. But if we're talking about going to heaven, we have to realize that there are ways and means that there are things that we need to do to help get ourselves prepared for heaven. Heaven is not just going to come like that. There's a process involved. There is a process involved and I must go through that process by God's grace. Jesus fought the battle on the same ground we are fighting and won. Jesus also had to choose to do his father's will. Remember Gethsemane? Father, if it be possible, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus cast his lot with God even when the, the, the day was so, the night was so dark and, and the thickness was, the, 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 the blackness was so thick that he couldn't see through it. But he said, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus, the 1888 message is saying to us that Jesus was human and Jesus overcame. And Jesus sits at the right hand of the majesty in the throne room of heaven. And he is able to take us through every single temptation. And we can choose not to sin. Second point of the 1888 message. The corporate nature of humanity. Have you ever thought, how could one man pay for the sins of the entire world? Man was made in the image of God in the first instance. In Genesis 1 verses 26 and 27, we see that. That man was made in the image of God. But now let us turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm sorry. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And we're going to look at something that is said here. Verses 15, chapter 15 verses 21 and 22. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians, I'm t I told you, 12, I'm, t I'm, I'm mixing it up, it's 12 to 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 14. 
For as the body is one, and hath many members, and all the members of that one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we all are baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one spirit. Read verse 14 in our church. For the body is not one member. The entire human race is a body. If you're going to save one person in the human race, you have to have the same facility to save everybody because we are one out of many. <laughs> the church is one body. Stay in the church all the time. Don't come out of the church. Adam, Adam's and Eve's sin meant the human race had rebelled against God, the entire human race. So when we look at the human race and we look at Adam and Eve and we say they have done, they have made certain decisions which have certain repercussions on us. It is true. Romans 5 verses 12 and 19. Romans 5. The Bible says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Verse 19. For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. One man cast us into this mold, this rebellious mold, and one man came and retrieved us and reconciled us to God. And one man came and paid it all so that you and I can hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant, should we, should we be obedient. That's why in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 19, the Bible says, to wit, that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. So what Adam did, Adam doomed us by his choice. But, what, but by the choice of Jesus, we have an opportunity for salvation and redemption. Third tenet, God addressed the sin problem. You cannot have a problem and keep sweeping it under the carpet. After a while, the carpet will become bumpy. And somebody will say, something is under this carpet. So God couldn't sweep the sin problem under the carpet. God had to solve the sin problem. He had to deal with it once and for all. The concept of justification is bigger than we can imagine. It is freely available, but sometimes we think that it is not so. Only, where, only when we ask for it. I am saying, Jesus' death paid it all at Calvary. The justification of every member of the human race was paid for at Calvary. Every single person. Every single man, woman, boy and girl who was ever born on planet earth. 
you were justified by Jesus' death on Calvary. John 3.16 clearly says it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus paid the penalty for every single person. However, by an act of faith, we must accept the gift and use our wills to choose salvation. Something is available, but we have to choose it. We have to, we have to stretch out and accept it from Jesus. Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, the Bible says, For if when we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So we are justified by the death of Jesus, but we have to accept the gift. It is pointless saying I'm justified. Who needs this provision? Romans 3, verse, verses 23 down what the Bible says. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Verse 24. Being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God had set forth to be appropriation through faith in his blood. To declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. So God was reconciling the world unto himself. He was dealing with the sin problem. With, with acceptance of the completeness of God's forgiveness and his plan to save, he empowers us to live victorious lives, satisfied lives, if you please, today. This moment, 15 minutes from now, I can live on a victorious life. Every single moment of every single day. Are we together, church? You know, a, there was a, a discussion in my Sabbath school class this morning. Good thinking. So I, 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 it was in your class as well. Good thinking. Someone was making a point about intrusion of different types of messages that come on the TV and on the radio and on the pop-up on, on, on your computer screen. And somebody was saying, when these things which are inappropriate come our way, should we, what should you do? Turn off the set? You see, brethren, we feel that we can accommodate some of these things. And we can block them out or we can cause some, in some way for the thing to go away. But there are subliminal messages which are being sent to your brain. And we act upon them. God is saying, I want you to have pure thoughts. You remember the memory verse that whatsoever things are pure, think on these things. And the only way we can renew our minds is by studying God's word. Virgin and friends, the sin problem is something 
that God has to deal with and has dealt with. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Notice. Substance of things hoped for. You can hold on to the thing that you are hoping for. It is substantive. You can grasp it. I'm hoping that I will be victorious over every single sin. And I'm saying it is possible because with God all things are possible. And sinners are not going to heaven. Who remain sinners. The only people, only sinners who are going to heaven are those who confess their sins and are cleansed from every sin. And so when we have the various means by which our minds are being polluted, every single act of, every single thought of pollution, every single thought that pollutes our minds must be reversed. Uh, let me say it another. If you have, if you have a bad thought that went into your mind. It creates an impression on your mind. A day must come when the impression is removed and the scar of that impression removed. It has to be reversed in order for your mind to become pure. God is saying, I want you to understand that you are thinking that the substance is for things hoped for. But it's not just your hope that we're talking about. It is not the hope of the human race that is at stake. God's hope is also wrapped up in this. You see, brethren and friends, there are times we put, we put God as an aside. As if, as if what, what, what it is. Remember, he says, beloved, I wish above all things that thou art prosper and be in health. It is God's hope that you and I would prosper and be in health. It is God's hope that we would reach out by faith and hope and hold on to the thing, the thing called victory over sin, victory over every besetment that you and I have. Because unless and until we put them aside, they are going to continue to pollute us. something that I read last night at school of, I thought of school incident but I suspect I didn't really do that God has a plan, a program for your life and mine, do you believe that? Yes. he has a plan you have, a, you have an office and you have your staff in there, you have a plan for each staff you have a staff who will be able to succeed at this level, that level, that level and some of them you have to show them the door We think that the Ten Commandments must be observed to measure up like the Pharisees. But we are not false, you see. We are not false. When you go home today, if you have the first Bible commentary, Bible commentary number one, page 1105, the servant of the Lord wrote these words. The Ten Commandments, Thou shalt and thou shalt not, are ten promises. Assured to us if we render obedience to the law governing the universe. Let me read that part again. 
ten promises assured to us if we render obedience to the law governing the universe. So God is not telling us to do something without giving us the power to do it. So he's promising us ten promises. It says, This do and you will not come under the dominion and control of Satan. There is not a negative in that law, although it may appear thus. So although the ones that say thou shalt not, it is positive because if we do, if we do not do it, we will not suffer. God says thou shalt not steal. He is giving us the power not to steal. He is giving us the power of choice and he's saying that there's not a temptation that we come across that he will that he that he will allow us to be tempted more than we can bear but with each temptation he will give us the way of escape have you been using the way of escape I, I don't want to give you too much trouble today in a church but I want you to think about what I'm saying give you trouble is a church every single time we are tempted there is a way of escape and that is why the, the commandments are promises. God will show us where to do what at the time to make sure we do not fall prey to Satan. God is giving us the power to succeed. You like to succeed, church? God is giving you the power to succeed. Are we availing ourselves of the power? The fourth tenet. You see, the sin problem is dealt with because God is greater than any temptation. And God can give you the victory every single time. Do you believe this church? Fourth tenet. It is easy to be saved and hard to be lost. Is the church? Each of these topics that have, each of these subheadings that I've raised today are sermons in themselves. One could, one could easily develop a complete sermon on any one of these topics. But I'm just putting it in a little condensed way. It is easy to be saved and hard to be lost. Let me see the hand of us who believe that. It is easy to be saved and hard to be lost majority of the church does not believe it. Elder, we have to pray. <laughs> Give me a few moments with the church. Give me a few moments, church. Let us look at Saul. Saul, with the, with the backing of powerful Jews, persecuted God's people. Let us come to, Dam to, Dam to the Damascus road. The Acts chapter 9, verse 3. And downward. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? Let us read verse 5 together, church. And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. You want, 
you want you want to destroy my kingdom it is impossible because upon this rock shall I build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it come on church say amen man you see let us look at Proverbs chapter 13 I'm coming back Proverbs 13 Verse 15. The last part of the verse says, Good understanding giveth favor. The last part of the verse says, But the way of the transgressors is hard. Whose ways are, church? The transgressor. The way of the transgressor is hard. When we walk, in the straight and narrow way with Jesus, which is possible. It is not a figment of my imagination. It is possible because I can, I, 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 I can say this without any water in my mouth. The, every single member of this church has experienced even one moment when he or she did not say yes to Satan. The way of the transgressor is hard. You know why? Because when you look at the reward that the transgressor will get, Lord have mercy on them. The way of the transgressor is hard. But let us look at something that we need to carefully analyze. Galatians chapter 5. And this is where, this, this, this is where is the church? Galatians chapter 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Now let us come to Galatians. Corinthians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. Galatians chapter 5. I once upon a time had, well, let me, let me put it this way. The majority of us didn't put up your hand. I, I was a member of that majority one time. But I'm converted. <laughs> let me tell you, let me tell you why I'm converted to, to this point that I am at now. Galatians 5 verses 16 and 17. Let us read this together. This I say then, walk in the spirit and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary one to the other, so ye cannot do the things that you would. And a lot of times people feel this verse is actually saying that the, bad, the good thing that you want to do, you can't do it because the, 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 the flesh is better or better or bigger or worse than the spirit. That is not true. Who is the spirit in this referring to? Come on, church, talk to me. Who is this? Which spirit is, all, is the Bible talking to about here? The Holy Spirit. So your and my carnal nature are warring against God's Holy Spirit. Now, when we study the Bible, the Bible clearly tells me that the. the that, 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 the three, that there are three members in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And the Bible says to me that God is omniscient. Knows everything. God is omnipotent. Is all powerful. And so when you look at the fleshy nature. The carnal nature that we have. When we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us. It is not that we can't do the bad. It, it, we can't do the good. It, 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 it is saying that you can't do the bad. 
Because every single time your, the temptation comes and you call upon the Holy Spirit to show you the way of escape, to show you the way out, come on, a church. You can't do the bad because you're holding on to God and saying, God, show me how to get rid of this thing. Now show me how to... So it is easier to be saved than to be lost. We are not taking God at his word and that is the problem. The Holy Spirit is so strong that we can't feel. Which is strong? Grace or sin? Romans 5, 20 and 21. <laughs> Church, do you think we should now take the poll again? <laughs> Are you now seeing that it is easier to be saved than to be lost? We have entire, we have all the help that heaven can give available. Let me tell you something. A man told me once, my, he was my manager at the time. He said to me, one day when he was young, when he was a child, his father called him. He had about eight or nine brothers and sisters. Father called him and said, Mike, I want you to do such and such a task for me. Cognizant of his age, his father said to him, anywhere you can get help, seek it. Go to anybody that you think can help you. Come. Seek that person out. He gave him the time to do the exercise and the time passed. And his father called him. He said, Mike, what is the position? Have you completed the task? No. Did you seek help? Yes. So let us, let us say some of his siblings, the names of his siblings were, were people like Murray and, and, uh, and Gray and, uh, 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 and Mackenzie and Patterson. <laughs> and his father listened to him and, and Liber Thomas. Because he, he, he had sisters too, right? And he said... He called all the names of his brothers and sisters. And his father looked at him and said, But he never came to me. I could help you, but you didn't come to me. You went to everybody else and the one person who could help you, you didn't come to him. The Holy Spirit is the one member of the Godhead who is there to give us the victory over every sin, give us the victory over every temptation, and we are omitting him thinking that it don't make sense. After finish. After finish. sanctuary there are other tenets of the 1844 message but I'm going to look briefly at the sanctuary because if you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you don't understand about the sanctuary it is time you start to learn if you're a Seventh-day Adventist and you don't know anything about the sanctuary come and talk to Brother Murray and Pastor and me come and talk to us because we understand a little bit and we can share and where we don't are not so sure you can sharpen us too and the Holy Spirit will take us because the Bible says iron sharpeneth iron 
But every Seventh-day Adventist must understand the message of the sanctuary because until and unless we understand it, there are many things that we are going to continue to do which we should not be doing. The, 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 the sanctuary message is a, is a unique message to the Seventh-day Adventist church. But I don't hear the amen. I'm going to say it again. The sanctuary message is a unique message to the Seventh-day Adventist church. According to the 2,300 days prophecy found in Daniel 8.14, the cleansing of the sanctuary began in heaven on the 22nd of October 1844. And that's why I heard me talk about 167 years since 1844. When the judgment of the, of the dead who committed their lives to the Lord began. In the type revealed in, in, in Leviticus 16, the people were first cleansed. It's a pity I can't go into the sanctuary message properly today. Because when people sinned, they brought an offering and they laid their hands on the head of the animal. His head was cut, throat was cut, and the blood was taken inside into the sanctuary, sprinkled on the veil as a, as a, as a record of the sin. How could the sanctuary first be cleansed when God's people were sinning daily? Sin must be removed from God's people. Are you not saying amen? It's the church. It's the church. I tell you I come to give you trouble today. And I mean it I come to give you trouble today. Because we have to understand when I read the thing and I say sin must be removed from God's people. Are you God's people? Yes. Sin must be removed. That's why. A high, I don't really think I'm going to read this part of the sermon slowly. Sin must be removed from God's people. That's why a higher standard of living and holiness is expected of Seventh-day Adventists. I'm going to repeat it. <clears throat> Sin must be removed from God's people. That's why a higher standard of living and Holiness is expected of Seventh-day Adventists. After all, like the Israel of old, we should be sighing. Remember, the antitypical day of atonement started the day of judgment. The day of judgment started in 1844, October 22nd. In the type on earth, on the day of atonement on earth, all Israel gathered around the sanctuary and they were confessing their sins and they were confessing their sins and they were confessing their sins, making it right with God. We are living in the antitypical day of atonement. Antitypical means this is what the type was a shadow of. So the real day of atonement started in heaven. We as Seventh day Adventists must be gathered around the sanctuary, sighing and crying and confessing our sins. One of these days, if I get the opportunity, I'll speak some more on this subject. But I want you to turn with me somewhere. Turn to Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. It's a burden and friends. When you have found it, see, I like I hear the Bible. I like to hear the Bible leaves and I love I just love what I hear. Malachi chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. 
Ready? But who may abide in the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appeareth? For he is like a refiner's fire and a fuller's soap. And he shall sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver. That they may offer unto the Lord an offering of what church? Righteousness. God wants a set of people who are righteous. Yes, you don't say that. I don't understand it. I don't understand it. God wants a set of people who are righteous people. You know the Bible talk about clean hands and pure hearts. That's righteousness. Virgin and friends, we look at this thing as if it is a thing that is future. At, at the present time it is future but a time is going to come and it is to be present and that's what God is trying the goal that God is trying to reach that his people will so hate sin that they will want to be separated from their sins they will, uh, they will be availing themselves of the, of, uh, of the facilities in the heavenly sanctuary that God is wanting to get rid of the sin from us once and for all so that we are righteous people. Let us, the Bible says to us, you see, that when they are, you notice, you notice some words that are used here. Refiner. You know, you can't refine anything without fire. But fire, they are most, most steel and some people think it's cool breeze. See, brothers and friends, we need to realize that God has to put us through heavy trial. Difficult situations where we can't do don't know hair from bullfoot, but we are gonna say we love God and whatever happened, I'm gonna hold on to God same way. Brethren and friends. And you notice the Bible says, like the full of soap. When we dirt up our faces, don't we use soap to wash it off? Brethren and friends, it is a sin thing that God wants to get rid of, to get rid of out of our lives. I'm going to read something from Great, Great Controversy. We're not reading enough of Ellen White's books. We're not quoting them enough. We're not spending enough time. In the Holy of Holies is a chapter, page 425. In the Holy of Holies. Listen to what she says about halfway down the page. Those who are living upon the earth when the intercession of Christ shall cease in the sanctuary above are to stand in the sight of a holy God without a mediator. Their robes must be spotless. Their characters must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. You know what she says? Our robes must be what, church? Spotless. Sometimes I just take up a shirt and want to put it on. And I say, mm -mm -mm, you can't put on that. You know, see this pattern. It's virgin. I, I, I don't even I look into those pattern. I just put on shirt. But God is saying, listen, there is a spot in my life and yours called sin. And Ellen White is saying, God wants, wants our robes to be spotless. Our characters must be, perf must be purified from sin by the blood of sprinkling. 
through the grace of God and their own diligent effort, they must be conquerors in the battle with evil. You don't like the word conqueror. You don't like it at all. Is it written on friends? The Bible says, we must be conquerors while the investigative judgment is going forward in heaven, while the sins of penitent believers are being removed from the sanctuary, there is to be a special work of purification, of putting away of sin among God's people upon earth. This work is more clearly presented in the messages of Revelation 14, three angels' messages. I am telling you that we have, we in this church, meaning the same day Adventist church. We have a body of truth which should we just decide to believe them and ask God for the power to live them. People would know that we have been with Jesus. Different. And that's why a higher standard is expected of Seventh-day Adventists. We have been given more information and we are going to be held accountable for it. I don't know, uh, I'm trying to condense what is left so that I can sit down. Brethren and friends, the scripture reading, you see? The scripture reading talks about a covenant. But a time is going to come when the covenant is a reality. And the reality will be because I have been taking these steps that I've been looking at, dealing with the sin problem, leaning on God to give me the victory, asking him, as a matter of fact, lest I forget, which of us have been driving down the street, walking maybe, even in class, and something that you did 15 years ago, just pop up. That's good pop up. That's good pop up on the computer screen, brethren, because the Holy Spirit is bringing back to our memory things that we need to confess and get rid of. He's purifying our minds. When that happens, don't say two minutes time or ten minutes, fifteen minutes tomorrow I will talk to God about it. Talk to God about it right now. So brethren, as I close, the memory verse ties into the, the, the sermon as a whole. Because Jesus' sacrifice as the Lamb of God is more powerful than we think. It liberates us from sin. Matthew 1, 21 says, And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. From their sins. So the memory verse, the, 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 the scripture reading, ties into the context of the sermon, because that covenant must become a reality one of these days. A real reality where God is saying, See my people there, Satan. See them there. You see them? Alright. The Holy Spirit has been prevented from coming into mold and fashion our hearts and our minds. We are preventing him. Nobody else. And that's why God, Jesus himself said, God is more willing to to give you the Holy Spirit than you are willing to ask. By beholding Jesus we become changed. Calvary gives us the opportunity to gain salvation. 
Jesus is coming for a church which is without spot or wrinkle as we said before. During the judgment hour, the Holy Spirit digs deep into the recesses of our minds. We need to acknowledge and repent and ask forgiveness of our sins. God wants to produce a people who will light up the world with his glory. The latter rain will be poured out upon God's people who are united in the faith and practice of truth. People who are united in faith and practice of truth upon a people who are at one with God. And the only time we can be at one with God is when we, by God's grace, are helped to put away sin from our lives. Because the Bible told us in Isaiah 59 that it is our sins that separate us from God. We must want to be so rid of this sin thing. That God is able to look at us. And there is, there is a plan. There is a plan which God has as a church. Bible talks to us about in Romans 12 verses 1 and 2 that we should renew our minds. But a thought came in my Sabbath school class this morning and I want to end here. Our teacher said, the Bible says it, that God has put eternity in our minds. You know what, you know what eternity is, church? God has put eternity in your mind. But God wants to take us from time to eternity. But God wants to change us. Change us, transform us, our way of thinking, our way of action. Our, our, our entire being must be changed. Our conversation must be, must be conversation like heavenly beings would have conversation. Strange message today. But to the Virgin and friends, I want you to understand what I'm saying. A higher level of holiness. A higher level of living is what God is trying to get us into the habit of living. A higher way of thinking. Because righteousness by faith means that by faith God will make me righteous. I cannot make myself righteous. But because God sees something in me that I want, I desire to be like him. He has raw material to work with. He will dig out what needs to be dug out. And he will, he will stump out what needs to be stumped out and burn out what needs to be burned out. But you and I must want him to burn it out. Come on. You and I must want him to stump it out. You and, he, you and I must say, Lord, take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee.